Today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast is brought to you by Legend Rings. Want to give your student-athletes something that'll create excitement and loyalty in your program? Go to LegendRings.com and see how colleges all over the country are doing it right now. Plus, stay tuned later in the show for a special offer just for you, Coach. And now, it's time for the show. That's right, it's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, wannabe cleanup hitter for the Houston Astros and America's recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. Coach, are you ready to talk about the physical and emotional and mental conditioning of today's high school student athletes? I'm asking that because more and more I'm getting asked a lot about uh, how that works, what this generation is all about, how it differs from past generations, because a lot of coaches out there recruiting are finding out that this generation of student athlete is a lot different to deal with. They have a different mental makeup. They're experiencing certain physical uh, challenges and ailments and injuries that past generations didn't didn't uh, have to deal with. And look, all this goes to how you recruit and who you recruit because a lot of coaches are trying to figure out, can I recognize some of these deficiencies, some of these challenges ahead of time so that I can make a better decision as to whether or not to recruit that athlete. So we're going to talk to somebody today there's a lot of insight about that, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, we are entering this time of year when a lot of teams are wrapping up their season, looking ahead to uh, next season. We're starting to approach end of the year thinking, believe it or not. And I want to remind you again, if you are looking for outstanding rewards for your student-athletes, the team that you coach right now at the college level, Please, 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 if you haven't already, please go look at legendrings.com. They're the sponsor of the podcast. The reason we're so fired up about them is because of what they give to the teams, the coaches that have started to use them. Unbelievable looking quality rings, uh, awards that that stay with an athlete forever. They do not get rid of the rings that you give them. And every student athlete uh, talks to us about that reward that they get uh, is the keepsake. It's the proof that they had a successful college career. And who you award it to, what they look like, even how much you spend, that's up to you. But this is the place to do it. So legendrings.com is the website. You can email Sam Daniel at the company, samd at legendrings.com. Uh, they will set you up with um, all the discounts possible. I'll give you as the coach a free gift. It's just an outstanding partner that we found, and we're excited to talk about it. And again, just because you're starting to wrap up some seasons, you're starting to approach into the year, uh, we wanted to throw that out to you that if you haven't visited the website at legendrings.com, please do that soon. All right. The guest today is Vanessa Bogenholm, and she is a an author. She is a personal trainer, does a lot of work with rising student athletes, both in San Jose and Las Vegas. Uh, and look, there's a lot of personal trainers and philosophies out there. Hers is one of them, but she's written uh, the book called It's Your Body, and it's an outstanding resource for both college coaches, high school coaches, and rising athletes on how to train, how to approach uh, mentally their sport. Just an outstanding person to talk to, and we got a chance to talk to her. And the conversation started off with a pretty simple question. What is it about this generation that makes them different uh, than other generations and more susceptible to some of the injuries, both physical and, and mental, that past generations haven't had to deal with. You're going to like what she talks about. You're going to like this conversation, Coach. 
So this is such a great question because so many times kids get so stuck in one sport and they get stuck in what the result is going to be instead of building up their whole bodies to not get injured. One of the most important things is can you actually compete for four solid years without getting injured? And I think this is, you've got to build up in the off season. You've got to realize that you've got to build up in the off season. So if you're a tennis player, if you're a runner, if you're a wrestler, you're making the rest of your body work and not get injured. That is what I work on with all of my kids to make sure, because we all know that kid who's in his sophomore year in college, he should be coming on and being great. But now the injuries are plagued. And now we've got a problem of our scholarship. And where are we going? So when you um, when you see kids coming in, they start to get training, or maybe they've had training mm-hmm. elsewhere, and they're now you know moving to another uh, training uh, uh, fitness center or to, with another uh, uh, personal trainer like yourself. What are the things that you have to most generally correct in the whether it's an attitude that they have or whether it's something that they are have been doing that has not benefited them? Like what is it the, the some of the things that you feel like? you see as the, as the red flags that you have to address before you can really build from there? So very often I see that they're masking an injury. So when I see a kid that's competing and he's taping himself all up, when you're taping yourself all up at 16 and 17 years old, and you're just saying, it's not that big of a deal. My coach is just making me do it. That's a problem. We have an imbalance in an injury waiting to happen. And I don't want, I've seen kids blow their knees in senior years of high school, right? So we got to figure what that is and slow down and back up before the stress fractures happen, that overuse thing happens. We see especially, and I'll be honest with you, in boys more than girls, when they start to win, they want to compete even more instead of taking a step back and waiting. So if overly competitive. So if you're a runner, if you're a tennis player, you're going at two and three times the body limit then when you're actually competing compared to practice, if you're trying to compete every weekend, you're going to hurt yourself. We got to back it up and make sure you're solid in your foundation before we do that again. And, and I'm just wondering, is that something that you've seen in, in the, I'll say the sports culture in our country where here we have, you know, 12, 13, 14 year old, you know, kids, truly mm-hmm. kids that feel like I have to push myself. I have to you know tape myself up. Um, I mean, is part of the culture that we've created to blame well, I mean, you're only as good as your last win, right? So right. if you have, especially if you have a loss and then you feel like you've got to get out there and get that win to make people notice you. So there was always in every kind of competition, I could get a win by beating someone that's less than me. I could actually lose to someone who's just so much better than me, whether I'm running or playing football or whatever it may be. But you cannot compare yourself constantly on that win of the last one, which is super hard in our instant gratification, um, Instagram world. Right. And of course, a lot of, a lot of athletes that college coaches are looking at and recruiting and identifying and and getting to know that athlete has goals. Uh, you talk a lot about motivation in your book and I want to talk about Mm -hmm. that, uh, because I think it's really a a key element, you know, to doing some good things in life, but also, Mm -hmm. um, and I hate to, I feel like I'm, I'm being negative right out of the gate with what's wrong, but there is a lot wrong in, in terms of training and everything, but does that, how do you keep an athlete motivated, but also, and like, so you've said it a couple of times, sort of slow down and, and don't, don't push yourself here. You need time to rest and to heal. We don't, 
that's not a message that you hear a lot in, in club sports, high school sports and, and youth sports in general, uh, where it's, you know, year round competition, your body never gets around to growing and, and resting and healing. Um, I mean, just you know, from what you've seen, is that a, is that an issue or am I making more out of it than, uh, than I think I am? No, it's a huge issue. These kids are competing every weekend, all year long in the same sport, can get, getting repetitive stress injuries. We know there are more ACL injuries than ever in soccer and baseball and all of these sports. This is not normal for kids to be blowing their ACLs as 16 and 17 year olds and having full reconstructive surgeries. That's not normal. What is wrong with taking a month off? So if you're a kid who's actually starting to win at the lower levels, and now you can move to a higher level team, whether it be soccer, whether it be you're playing tennis at a higher level, whether you're now running, you know, at a higher level. Do you need to compete as much? No, not at all. Because now it's the whole different, different kind of world and realize and step back. But that constant, you know, weekend thing is like a drug, right? I'm winning every weekend. I'm winning every weekend. I think it also creates bad mental attitudes in kids because now it's all about the win and not about the competition which is really the wrong thing to do, right? Because you want to look forward to that competition, not saying, I'm so much better than everybody, watch me win every weekend. So I'm very, I'm very about my kids that I work with having a great mental attitude and not feeling like it's unfair I didn't win or having that bad winner's attitude, like, oh, this is no big deal to me, I win all the time. Right. So the attitudes that, that you see and that you, uh, that, mm -hmm. that you coach and mm -hmm. you're not necessarily coaching their sport, but you're strengthening them and, mm -hmm. and preparing them to go out and compete at a, at a high level. Um, I'll, I'll call it, you know, give me an attitude check. How are the attitudes and, and mental outlook and, and everything from the athletes that you get to train and deal with that are in this age group we're talking about that are growing, mm -hmm. trying to reach these goals mm -hmm. and, uh, and you get to work with them and see them every day. How, how is their mental outlook in general? Well, it's interesting to see this because sometimes you see like whatever we always talk about in golf and tennis, whatever the worst attitude you have there is how you're going to be in your entire, the rest of your life. As we talk about as adults, mm -hmm. if you have a friend who plays golf and he's throwing his golf clubs, you know, he does that at the office with his accounting firm, whatever mm -hmm. it may be. So if I have a kid that misbehaves, if he's going to work with me, I don't let him actually compete anymore, period. And if you're a soccer kid, I have this great teenage boy, does really well. And when he asked me, what do I do today? I said, you make your teammates look amazing. If you make your teammates look amazing, all of a sudden, wow, what a difference, right? Because now it's not the focus on him. It's actually focused in helping somebody else in a team sport, and the team right. does really well. So having that attitude. So I always make sure with a kid that I understand, is he an individual player or is he a team player? And don't force a kid to be one or the other, right? He's got to figure that out himself. So that's why you can figure out how to coach them and how to keep their attitudes correct. If you're a very internalized person and it's all about me, you're not going to be good playing basketball or volleyball or soccer because it's just, those are team sports. Yeah, one of the interesting things about, I think about the way that you talk in uh, in the book, it's your body mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, that we will link to in the podcast in the show notes if if coaches want to order it, uh, and they should. But you talk a lot about your even in this conversation, you're mixing mm -hmm. the physical training with the mm -hmm. the mental the mental mm -hmm. training in a mm -hmm. sense. Um, and you talk in the book about emotional commitment uh, to being your best self. Which sounds a little like a, a coach might hear that at the college level and say it sounds a little, um, you know, just 
feel good, hocus pocus, you know, what, what is the combination between your mental attitude and your the, the way that you will train and, and be healthy physically? Like how are the two interconnected, especially when we're talking about motivated athletes who are trying to be their best self, especially on the court, on the field, on the course and, and so on? Well, this is so interesting because being your best self does not mean that tomorrow I go out and I'm running my best mile. It actually means for the last month, did I do the training I was supposed to? Did I eat a bunch of candy at two o'clock in the morning? Was I up talking to my friends on Snapchat at three o'clock in the morning the day before a race? If that's what I was doing and I don't show up to actually compete at my best, was I actually competing at my best self? And only one person knows that. And that's the athlete, right? So these are the hardest things for them to do, to say, this is what was good or what was bad. And sometimes what goes wrong that day has nothing to do with their physical training. It has to do with their mental commitment to actually getting ready to show up that day. So mm -hmm. I personally can't go out and drink a bunch of the night before I go run a marathon. It's not going to be conductive to that. And I also have to be willing to listen to everybody else. So if I'm a kid and I'm running a mile and I'm trying to break, let's say 422, which is kind of a magic number right now, and I got someone out there running my splits, if I'm not listening to that person or trusting that, I can't focus. So how good is my focus ability going to be if I'm thinking about the girl I met in algebra, um, you know, maybe I'm going to get caught for drinking a beer. You've got to have your mind clear. So I really work with my kids on clear your plate before you show up to compete. Your mind is busy. You will never bring your best. You mentioned uh, the kid who's Snapchatting at, at 3 a.m. Mm -hmm. uh, and that goes straight to the issue of sleep, which I know mm -hmm. at the college level, you know, mm -hmm. athletes come to to uh, the colleges that our, our yep. coaches uh, are, are uh, coaching at. And it's college life and it's yep. fun and there's a lot of distractions, a lot of stuff you could be doing at 3 a.m., Yep. That uh, whether you should be or not at a, a, as an athlete, you're, you may be doing them anyway. And that holds true for more and more high school age athletes as they're growing up. Talk to me about, for, for somebody who mm -hmm. uh, understands what a good night's sleep feels like, and the older you get, you love it more <laughs> and more. Yes. <laughs> it becomes more and more rare as well. Yes. But but for a coach, I, I, I would love, we have a lot of coaches that are great coaches. They're not necessarily uh, you know, from the training world, they're not, you know, mm -hmm. uh, they don't have degrees or backgrounds in biology mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and I, explain physiologically what happens when the athletes that they're recruiting or that they have on their teams aren't getting sleep. What does that do athletically, not only for a performance standpoint, but when it comes to training and strengthening and, and over time becoming better physically? So we all know when we even miss a couple of hours sleep a night, we can't physically or mentally pay attention. We're just slightly off and it doesn't work. And you talk about these kids when they first get to college, this is wild for them. I live right next to Santa Clara University and it's hysterical. I mean, I know the cross country coach really well. I watch the boys that go and move into a house with six other boys <laughs> and you just see their entire body like become soft. They can't focus like, They've not used to having all the distractions. So they got to figure out how to get rid of the distractions in high school so that they know how to do it in college. And I think one of the big problems is they don't know how to compartmentalize. Like, okay, from three to five, I study, I run from this time. When you watch the best athletes, they're just like anybody in a business. I have my timeframes. This is what I do in my timeframes. If Saturday is my day off, Saturday is the day that I goof off with my friends and I go to the beach and do whatever. 
but I don't do things to hurt my body in those goof off times. Like I'm not drinking alcohol. I'm not smoking pot. I'm not um, throwing myself on the grass and rustling if I've got to compete at volleyball, right? So how do I do those things so that I'm still having a good time in college, compartmentalize what you can do and what you can't do it in high school also. And so assuming then just taking that the next step mm-hmm. that a college coach that's recruited this athlete mm-hmm. that has just moved into the house with, with six other guys and you're right, it's mm-hmm. fun. It's distracting. It's mm-hmm. I don't need sleep. I'm running on adrenaline. Uh, and you can do that for a day or two, maybe, <laughs> but it's not something that obviously is going to be then uh, good for the rest of that week. But then you extend that out. I'm just wondering for the coach who has recruited the athlete who never learned to modulate that and to compartmentalize that in mm-hmm. high school mm-hmm. as they maybe should have done, but they, let's say they haven't. And now they're at the college campus and now this coach has to have them perform. They have to make sure they are healthy and going to class and getting good grades mm-hmm. so that they can continue mm-hmm. to compete. Can you give our coaches some instruction about number one, what to look for when it comes yeah. to what might be yeah. signs that an athlete is having trouble just mm-hmm. you know compartmentalizing uh, everything? And then also what what practically what do they do? Like what what is the instruction mm-hmm. guide for the coach that's just out there listening to this thinking, okay, well, I've I got a couple of those kids, I think. Now what do I do? Is I have to coach them and they're here and and what what would your advice be? So the first thing is to, before you've actually signed them on that recruitment day, which is exciting Mm -hmm. that you've met the parents, whether Mm -hmm. it be one parent or two, and here's why I think you're going to know what their family life was like at home. And this is such a big, can they succeed in this high pressure environment? If you had really pushy parents that were always telling the kid what to do and what time to do and how to do it, and were always making sure they showed up at three o'clock, if that kid didn't get some structure on his own before... He's going to be the kid with the problem structure when he gets to college. I had a kid that got to college. We got the great scholarship, going to go play tennis at Brown, right? Wow. Dream scenario. Had never, ever even packed his own tennis bag before he went to a tennis tournament as a high school kid, right? So he gets to Brown and guess what he does? Shows up late, stays up late, doesn't know how to study, cannot do anything. And this was a kid who blew it in the first year at Brown, because he did not have parents that let him grow up in high school. Mm. So important. So as a coach, this coach went, Vanessa, what happened? And I go, I told you, his parents did not let him grow up. They were, he took care of them. They, 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 took, they took care of his son and they, right. he failed horribly. It was really sad actually. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. But, and that's a great point to, to look for that. You know, that is an example mm-hmm. of a sign to, mm-hmm. uh, to look for and you know, which makes me want to ask now, cause I know a coach is thinking, okay, what else should I be looking for? So are there other things that, you know, a, a bullet point list, just a, a, some, some warning signs about unhealthy, you know, living or just, yeah. or, you know, in that case, you know, the parent who took care of everything and now the athlete, goes to college and they can't survive on their own. What, what are your other, <laughs> the, 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 uh, the, 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 the bullet point warning list that you might The bullet give? point warning list really is, can this kid show up on time? And I'm a big believer in it. You know, if you show up late, that means that you think your time is more important than my time. Mm-hmm. So if that kid shows up late and he's a star athlete and he's kind of used to people putting up with him, realize a star athlete at a high school going to college is what? He's the bottom of the rung. These juniors and seniors are almost 90% of the time better than him. Can he take that, right? Mm-hmm. You want a humble kid. And I've seen right. kids who are star athletes get to college and not survive well. 
So the coach has to be really aware of that first kind of feeling of a kid. What's he going to be? Is he that great, you know, learning kind of kid? And can he move forward to help the team and make the school be what it wants to in a, in a sports situation? But I think, you know, this, it's very, I think it's more difficult. I think we see more kids drop out after the second year of college competing, especially in tennis. I see it a lot where they say it's too hard for me to go to school and to play a sport. So we're able to do that successfully before and do it well, right? Mm -hmm. And what is their actual, what is their goal? Is their goal to be in the sport? Is their goal to get a college degree? Are they looking at the sport as a job? Because if you look at it as a job, they're going to show up on time and they're going to do it correctly, which doing a sport in college is a job. You got a, you got a scholarship for a reason. Right. And I think that has to be one of the thought processes. Liking what you hear on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast? Then you're going to love our special training and information site, Honey Badger Recruiting. It's where Dan Tudor and his team of experts answer recruiting questions, publish the latest trends and research, and give college coaches the next level training they need to connect with their prospects. Visit dantutor.com and click on the Honey Badger link to become a subscriber. And if you're already signed up, make sure you're up to date with all the latest information the Tudor Collegiate Strategies team has for you today. Again, just go to dantutor.com and click the Honey Badger link. It's your secret weapon in the nonstop battle to win the best recruits. Hey, Coach, it's Dan, and it's a fact. A lot of college athletic departments are trying to figure out how do we regain our momentum? How do we build the culture we want? And most of all, how do we create dedicated alumni? When they leave the program, they stay involved. They stay dedicated. They say good things about us. Well, I have an answer. LegendRings.com. You heard about it maybe on the podcast last year. So many coaches and athletic directors went over to LegendRings.com and were blown away by what they could create and design on their own through the website to give their student athletes. This is something that they remember. This is something that every athlete in the country wants to have, which is a memento of all the hard work they put in. Now, maybe that's for a championship season, an MVP award, or just because you want to give your team something to remember the year by. This is the answer that a lot of coaches are turning to, and and it is so incredibly budget-friendly, it's going to amaze you. So go to legendrings.com, and if you do, mention that you heard it from Dan Tudor and the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. They are going to give you a special gift as a coach. You're going to love it. That's legendrings.com. Go take a look, Coach. Heading into the most challenging recruiting year of their careers, what are more and more college coaches and athletic directors using to give them an edge? ARI Recruiting. It does more than all the other recruiting contact management apps and websites do. With no lag time, no lost information, and plenty of next-generation features that has it beating the competition day in and day out. Oh, and did I mention it's probably a lot less than what you're using now? Go to ARIRecruiting.com now, get a demo, and find out why this is the recruiting tool you've been waiting for. Well, you actually didn't go into the next thing I wanted to talk about uh, quite nicely. So thanks for that, which is <laughs> that a lot of this generation we're hearing from the coaches that we work with at the college level, they go through the recruiting process. They have worked very hard, personal trainers at club teams, yeah. high school teams. They get to college. They get a spot on the team. Maybe it is a scholarship and they show up and, and basically the attitude is, I did it. I'm here. 
hooray. Ah, good. Now I can relax. And of course the college coach is saying, wait a minute. No, you're, you're good, but you're not where you need to be. So it's going to be more work. And that maybe goes to that example of the tennis player who fought hard to get the scholarship and that's the prize. And now wait a minute, there's work I have to do after the prize. Um, Can you talk a little bit about um, not necessarily the warning signs of what would tip a coach off that, that an athlete was like that, but maybe, um, a diagnosis of, of why that's happening. And, and if there are things to look for in that kind of an attitude, um, I think that'd be great for, for coaches to, to hear from you who are working with yeah. the athletes as they're going through that process. So I would always, when you first start to work with the kid, ask him how he would feel if he changed his position. Now, this is where this is such an ultimate respect thing. I had a kid, really good two miler, right? And the coach said to him, how about if you steeplechase? And they originally, what a kid would say in track, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to jump over things. And he went, show me how. I mean, that was his answer. Mm. And the coach went, Vanessa, I got to have it. And I go, I told you, this kid will do whatever you ask. And then each time you show him correctly, he will get it and he will work at it. He's a thinker. Yeah. What did you ask him to do? He goes, ask him to steeplechase. I go, cool. That's good for me. I don't care. Right. <laughs> and so this was a kid you want, right? If you ask him to do something slightly out of the box and they go, oh, no, I've been doing this since I was 12. Ah, that's going to be a problem on a, on a team of any type, right? Right. Well, so to your point, it goes to the attitude of, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to be flexible. I'm not going to be coachable, yeah. maybe, because you know a coach is going to bring in different training techniques and different strength and conditioning techniques, and they have to be ready to, uh, to accept those. Um, we've talked a little so far about the physical side of it, the attitude side, even the sleep side. Um, you, you mentioned uh, the kid that you know each but eats a bunch of candy the night before or something. Let's talk about food because that's the other part of obviously physical development is the food that you eat or don't eat. And I, I'm just wondering, I guess, just give me a. We'll start with a broad overview of what you see with this generation. What are the things that you have to correct? Um, with so much fast food, so much processed food, so much stuff that um, that you know, we're not eating the way we did 30 or 40 years ago. Um, kind of give the, the big overview of what you see in this generation, good or bad, that when it, when it comes to food and athletics. So we have a serious problem of people not cooking at home. Mm-hmm. So what happens to kids is they go away and they all, all they know is to get food out of the cafeteria. And if they're not getting out of the cafeteria, then it's coming out of a bog, of a bag or a box, right? And they're not getting proper nutritional values, period. And they don't know how. And so I really always encourage my families that I work with, you've got to teach your kid how to cook off a hot plate. You've got to teach him how to shop in a grocery store so that he knows how to do it. There's no reason why he can't buy cut up vegetables and cook them. So teach these simple things to a kid before they leave for school. Make sure that they know that that the reason they're craving sugar or craving fat is because their body's missing some nutrients and to have them on that kind of thought process so that it's not strange when they're showing up and all of a sudden mom's not cooking. Now what? So what are the things that you would suggest a coach do when it comes to, you know, to, again, I, I'm going to mm-hmm. expect that they're going to inherit a bunch of kids like you just described. Yeah. And now it's in fact what you just talked about. Maybe some mm. red flags went off for them about, oh, this is my team. I recognize that. Uh, or maybe as a coach, this is me. So, 
what what's the fix? Um, here they are. They've inherited a, a group of kids. They have them on their team. Mm-hmm. I think a lot. There are going to be some coaches who would say, "Well, that's not my responsibility. It's they're in charge of their own food." And yet, a lot of coaches would say, "No, I, if I can have some control over this, I want to." What What are the steps to correct that? I mean, is it literally taking them to the grocery store and figuring, you know, teaching them how to shop? Because yeah. it's so interesting. Sure they, haven't, they have never done that before. That's right. So when I was a high school tennis coach, which I was for four years of boys and girls varsity tennis, mm-hmm. I did not allow any junk food on the tennis court during practice or during matches. Period. Mm-hmm. Any food brought had to be made. That's all there was to it. So the kids had a great time. They'd go to the store and they'd make sandwiches and they'd do things. And all of a sudden you saw them no longer drinking Gatorades and sodas. Now they were putting, you know, cucumbers in their water and I'm laughing my head off because this was just a change that they were making and not thinking about it, but subconsciously they were feeling better from it and, you know, doing cut up vegetables with guacamole instead of doing, you know, potato chips. Um, I think this was just something that is a small little piece they saw from me and they took it into their lives. So this is what has to happen with the kid before. And I would just as a coach ask him, do you know how to cook at all? Right? That's not a, you know, obscene question. And if you're craving sugar all the time, maybe we got to look at other things for you to eat that's going to satisfy that need for calories that you're not getting. Or are you stressed? What's happening, right? If you see a kid showing up and he's drinking a Pepsi and a bag of M&Ms, well, there's probably something you have to address. Right, right. Um- the other thing with, you know, to sort of move on from food, um, you're talking in some ways about healing. Uh, sometimes that, that that food issue goes back to an emotional pain that they're suffering. And, you know, pain in general, you mentioned, you know, the kid who masked the injury and, and you know, that's only going to make it worse. Um, you know, in, in athletics, especially at a high level, especially, you know, when they're looking at a college coach and an opportunity, they don't want to show pain. They don't want to show weakness. Uh, they will mask it. And we we heard more and more coaches talking, we'll hear them Mm -hmm. talking about an athlete that they inherited that had been dealing with some sort of injury for the last year, didn't know it Mm -hmm. until they got to campus. And now, of course, it takes longer to rehab. Um, Again, what should coaches be looking for or asking their student athlete prospects about when it comes to you know pain, injury? I mean, how how do they have that conversation with, with this generation? Well, I think it's really interesting that a lot of times coaches will be contacting someone because they saw a video or something of that nature or just saw high rankings. Mm -hmm. If you see a kid in person and you throw a ball, let's say he's a tennis player or a runner and you just throw a ball and say, hey, go run and get that for me. And you're going to see an injury or not an injury, right? And if he can't, if he's got a little bit of a limp, you're going to see it, which in competition, he's going to wrap it up or make sure that's not happening, right? And if the kid goes, I'm not going to go chase that ball. I'm a soccer player. Why am I, why am I picking up a baseball? It's just to see a kid move, right? Right. Let me just see you move for a minute. Let me see you, let me see you jump rope for five minutes. Do something that's more just actually fitness related and not for his individual sport. Because kids have been groomed since seven or eight years old to be baseball players, to be football players, and groomed to look good in this sport. And that's when you see that kid with the chronic injury. Right. So what's the fitness level look like so that we don't have an injury? Uh, and a lot of coaches, I'll, I'll say, complain a little bit, or they recognize that it might be a a, a, a fault mm-hmm. that they the athletes that they're recruiting are have been training just to play soccer, just to play football, mm-hmm. just to play mm-hmm. tennis. And you do mm-hmm. get those 
repetitive injuries or I think your, your point about ACL injuries is, is great because you see that a lot now in basketball, in volleyball, football. Um, so the importance of playing a variety of sports mm-hmm. from your perspective as a trainer, and especially in light of the fact that you're training kids as their bodies are growing. So yep. the muscular development isn't, isn't all there yet. The bones are growing. Um, you have kids wanting to work out, lift weights maybe too early in their mm-hmm. in their career. What are the benefits physiologically for a kid who has played a lot of different sports versus just one? What 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 are the benefits to the body? So the muscle development all around is better. And the more muscle development I have all around my hip joint, for example, then I'm not going to hurt my hip compared to if I'm a tennis player and always putting stress on that left hip when I serve, right? Mm. So the more balanced I can be, the better. And boys especially you see that big growth happening from boys from the 13 to 15 years old and they're from their knee to their ankle is longer than their hip ratio i don't let boys run then i tell them sorry 10 miles a week is all you can run can't do it because you're gonna hurt yourself you're gonna be out of balance let's wait six months and see what it looks like so we don't have long-term injury super difficult if you've got a pushy parent who wants to see those results so have to have that talk and say i don't want them hurt I want them to succeed. And I think it's really sad to me about how we've overused kids so much with that, you know, to try to get that national ranking, right? It's all about national rankings, which is such a sad scenario. And I also think it's really sad when you see a kid who's just doing club sport all year, every year, every week of the year, doesn't do any high school. It's all about how good can I look at a club sport? I'm a big believer in high school athletics, because it gives other kids an opportunity that don't have the money to hire personal trainers and to hire personal coaches and get custom shoes and everything else that drives me absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a nonprofit called Exercise in the Streets. We have two kids that came out of the foster system that are going to Sacramento State and run in track. These were foster kids, right? Mm-hmm. Who, you know, the coach called and goes, you got anybody? I got two kids. Take a look. I'd appreciate it. So that's kind of what I think should happen. And those are like feel good stories, not just because these kids are, these aren't the stars. I'll be honest, that's the stars on the team, but what they are is they're the workers on the team that you can always put in that will do it and bring that camaraderie to the team is what I see these boys really being able to do. Right. And I really, I really welcome a coach who's willing to, to look past that, you know, um, club sport coach who's always bugging you. Like I got this kid, I got this kid. I mean, I think it's really hard as a college coach to find other kids that maybe really actually need the opportunity. Um, There's a coach, a tennis coach at UC Davis, just a delightful guy who said to me, someone I should look at. And that's always his thing to me, someone I should look at. And I'm always anxious to have him say, I got this kid. He's okay. He wants to just um, try out. He wants to try to be a walk-on. And he'd go, cool, why not? I mean, that's an amazing college coach who's willing to let a kid try out to be a walk-on. Some coaches don't have the time of day. Let's be honest, they're just too busy. This coach was more than willing and I sent him a kid who became a walk-on. First year was a walk-on, second year half-ride scholarship, right? Wow. So there's also nice. availabilities, right, to, to grow as, as, a, as a sports person. Like, you know, I have a kid now at Oregon, you know, he's obviously a very fast runner, runs, I don't know, he's now four, four or seven or something ridiculous mm-hmm. in the mile. But this was not that in the beginning, right? And this was a kid who just was a really, really hard worker, who you wouldn't have noticed as a freshman or sophomore. 
But boy, later on, all of a sudden, it was like, wow, who is this kid? And why is he so strong and never getting injured? It's because he didn't race as a 10 or 12-year-old, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, you say we, it's tough in today's world of college recruiting to not end up talking about parents of recruits. So here yes. we are, we're going to talk about parents because you you actually open that, you crack that door open, so I'm going to run through it. Um, you, I'm assuming the parents are, most of the work that you do with athletes are set up, that relationship set up through the parents. Mm -hmm. So you get to see probably parents that have a great attitude and a great healthy relationship and attitude mm -hmm. towards competition and athletics. And then you see the other side of that as well. Um, I, I guess a simple question is, how bad is it out there from a you know mm -hmm. parent driving the process standpoint? Is that the majority of the time you see that it's the parent sort of behind pushing, pushing, pushing mm -hmm. to have their athlete work with you and other trainers, or or is it driven by the athletes? Where where do you see it? I think it's eighty percent the parents. And here's the bad thing: I I live in Silicon Valley. We are mm -hmm. all about exceeding and spending tons of money and making tons of money, and everything has to look really good and polished, mm -hmm. and if I have a parent come to me and say, my kid is really good, I just laugh. It's the first thing that I do. I laugh when I said, if your kid was really good, I'd know your kid. That's <laughs> bottom line. I would have, I would have noticed him by now, right? <laughs> and so and here's the next thing. You don't get to push your kid. And if I hear you ever yell at your kid, I quit. Because it's all about the kid for me. It's not about the parent. And it's not about how it looks for you as the parent that your kid just won the baseball game or whatever it may be. And if you as a parent could step away, Oh, we got something here, right? Because now we're going to see if it's the kid who's actually self-motivated, right. which has to happen. Right. Otherwise, they will not succeed in college. Right. So, so two, two more quick questions. The first being, uh, you talk about water in your book. And mm -hmm. you know, yeah, here I am. I'm 54. I, I know I need to drink more water. I try hard. <laughs> and then some days I do it, some days I don't. Why is water so important to- Hydration is a, hydration's amazing. So it's super easy. On your mm -hmm. phone, you have alarms. 30 ounces in the morning when you first wake up, 30 ounces again around two or three. Guess what? The headache goes away and you can sleep better. It's yeah. phenomenal. If you're female, you really notice that your skin clears up tremendously. It's mm -hmm. actually completely hysterical. Oh my gosh, I, my acne's gone. Well, yes, of course it is. You're drinking water. Right. But this is simple. We have these tools and I try to take all the guesswork out of it. If I set it up on your phone, you do it. You don't even think about it anymore. Right. Life is good. Yeah. But I mean, specifically, maybe for specifically for a, a competitive athlete who's going through mm -hmm. all this training, who is growing, mm -hmm. getting stronger, getting better. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what, as opposed to grabbing a Gatorade, or as opposed mm -hmm. to some other kind of drink that you know, there's a lot of drinks out there. Why is water so much better? Especially, I mean, especially for an athlete uh, that uh, is in college, let's say, and um, you know, again, something else for a coach to monitor because it, it, it seemed, I think it's important. So we really need to clean out our livers and our kidneys all the time. Let's be honest. And we sweat all the time as athletes continuously. And we just cannot get to the dehydration level. Dehydration brings on more headaches than most people ever dream of. So when we look at the Gatorade products, the drip drop products, the noon, all of these things, right? We're adding sugar and sugar and more sugar. That's not what I want to be based off of. So if I'm a runner, a long distance runner, I have to have my body be able to convert fat. Very important to me, right? If I'm a soccer player out there for an hour and a half, two hours, my body has to be able to convert fat. If I'm constantly looking for sugar, 
there's going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to fade, right? Mm. Especially in the heat, especially in the heat. And all of us know for whatever reason, college athletics is always in the middle of the day and it's very, very hot in every sport. And the kids have to be acclimated to be able to be in the heat and not with, you know, constant Gatorade, which is just the, I mean, Gatorade has made itself because as we all know, they give it away at every high school. Every right. high school right. has Gatorade for free. You see it at every football game, everything. A lot of, a lot of the water coolers on a football sideline <laughs> have the Gatorade logo on them. And the Gatorade guy comes around to every sport and gives everything away. And here's some water bottles and isn't it great? Well, yes, it's wonderful. Now you've graded a kid that's addicted to sugar. Thank you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And again, important for a coach. I, I, I asked that or I sort of bring that up as a topic mm -hmm. just so that a coach at the college level listening to this understands that is part of your responsibility as a coach. You can't, I mean, a lot of programs don't have strength and conditioning trainers. They may have one mm -hmm. on campus or something. Uh, yep. And a lot of them do have, you know, it's easy to offload that to a trainer. You know, well, that's mm -hmm. their responsibility. But I'm hearing you talk, you know, in all these little micro areas of, of athletic development. And I think a coach has to take ownership of a lot of those things, make sure his or her athletes are are doing the right things outside of, you know, when they're not in, in the training room or uh, are going through that. So th thanks for asking, uh, answering that question. Um, so your book is It's Your Body. We're going to link to it uh, on the podcast. Coaches love their book collections at the college level. They love their <laughs> libraries. Why should this be in their library? Why should a college coach buy your book at it? What are they going to learn that they don't already know about athletic development, physical development, and what they should be looking for, not only in their athletes, but maybe in, in themselves, because they, they're under stress and, and they, they work a lot too. So what, why should they add it to their library? So besides speaking about some of my college kids who you know, are in college and competing, and I have quite a few of them, I actually talk about suicide in kids. And this is huge. The mental attitude of these kids, these kids are under constant stress. And if they don't have balance and people that they can trust, then things can go haywire really badly. And this makes national headlines all the time. We see sports kids commit suicide. So I think it's super important for a coach not to say, oh my God, I'm not responsible for that. I just need the kid to play football. You have to realize this is a human being, right? This is a human being that wants to perform. And do they actually have the mental capacity to do that? It's a hard decision for a coach to put these kids under this kind of stress when they're 18 to 21 years old, right? So I think it's really important to realize um, how hurt a lot of these kids are mentally and how difficult it is. I mean, we get to be in our 40s and 50s and go, yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, you'll make it through because we made it through. But no, these are, these are young lives forming. And coaches spend more time with kids, whether they be at the high school or the college level, than anybody else besides their parents at a close personal level. They get to know these kids, right? So be willing to listen, I think is, is really interesting to be willing to listen when they're trying to tell you that there's something wrong. So once again, that is Vanessa Bogenholm. We really appreciate her time and attention that she gave this whole topic, uh, the time she took out of her busy schedule. Uh, again, her book is It's Your Body. We're going to link to it in the show notes. I really recommend adding it to your library. It gives terrific insights into who these athletes are today, some of the things that she talked about in the conversation that you just heard, and how to coach them 
and help manage them better, help them get through some of these issues that, that this generation is dealing with uniquely. So great resource. We really appreciate her. And coach, we appreciate you listening to the College Recruiting Weekly podcast. Without you, this doesn't happen. It's something that we're passionate about, giving you this information, these these long-form conversations that you can really get a lot out of to make your coaching better and to develop your program better and to make you a better recruiter. That's the goal. Hope we hit it off uh, off the mark today. And uh, we'll be back with more coming up in the coming weeks. And if you haven't had a chance, by the way, if you've missed all 100-plus uh, episodes uh, previous to this one, you can go back and listen uh, on all your favorite platforms. Lots of great topics, lots of great conversations we have with experts all around the world in, in when it comes to communicating, recruiting, and marketing yourself to today's student-athletes. So we appreciate you being here. Coach, have a great week. There's going to be more, so stay tuned for more of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. It's coming up soon. Thanks for listening. The College Recruiting Weekly Podcast is a production of Tudor Collegiate Strategies. For more information on everything we provide college coaches, athletic directors, and the rest of your campus, visit dantutor.com. Thanks for listening, Coach.